0: to the Lunch Break Bible Study. 20 minutes so that you can be in the Word today, even if the only time you have is your lunch break. I am Pastor Frank here in Kansas City. Uh, It's a rainy Thursday in April. You might be able to hear the the raindrops falling on the roof of my house right now. Sorry about uh, if that distracts you. But we are continuing today in the Gospel of Mark. The shout-out I have today is uh didn't come online. It came in person. Uh, I had a chance to see my friend Ian, who I had not seen in some time. I saw him at a funeral last week, and uh, he mentioned, he says, hey, I like the podcast, and I said, thank you very much. I wish I had uh, more opportunity to get more episodes out there. So, hi, Ian. Thanks for the compliment. Those kind of things uh, really kind of keep me going and and get me interested in, in making another another episode for you guys. So, Today we are uh, continuing, like I said, with the Gospel of Mark. Jesus has just had this confrontation with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They are complaining that the disciples uh, don't wash their hands before eating. We can make a few speculations here, but but it's helpful. It is speculation, but I think it's it's reasonable to believe that, that this tradition of washing your hands in a particular way before you ate probably arose from a good intention for people's spiritual care that they had been they they were living among gentiles they had no idea when they go to the marketplace when they go around they have no idea what they have and haven't touched that may or may not be clean so they decide that you know before we eat we're going to we're going to wash in this particular way and that was good for them in their own spiritual care but what had what it had become was a way not to care for themselves but a way to judge other people and judge their righteousness and Jesus has no time for this He replies in verse 6. So we are in Mark's Gospel, chapter 7, verse 6. Jesus replies to them. He says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. This is from Isaiah chapter 29. You can go back and read that. I'll give you kind of a little uh, understanding what it is. But uh, Jesus says that Isaiah was talking about you. He says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are just rules from men. And the prophecy in Isaiah 29 is a prophecy regarding the city of Jerusalem because it's going to fall to a foreign army. Isaiah is prophesying the fall of Jerusalem because the leadership there, the religious folk, have abandoned the word of God. And now Jesus is taking this prophecy that Isaiah gives to the people living in Jerusalem at the time and saying, you know what, this applies to you today. And this is shocking that Jesus would do this, that these these Pharisees, these teachers of the law, these people who held themselves up and were regarded by everybody around as the holiest of all people, Jesus would put them, lump them in the same boat as the unfaithful leadership of Israel in years past that got them exiled from the promised land altogether. Them's fighting words, right? You don't just say this kind of stuff to religious people because you're, you're, you're telling them basically that they are unfaithful. He continues in verse 8. He says, you know, you, the Pharisees who are criticizing them, who have taken a, a, a perfectly fine spiritual practice and turned it into a marker of righteousness to judge other people with, he says, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And, and, you know, what What do you mean by that? He says in verse 9, and verse 10, he says, you know, Moses told you, you know, we have a whole commandment on this, depending on how you number them. It might be uh, <laughs> fourth or fifth, depending on how you number the commandments. Uh, Moses said, honor your father and mother, right? And he says, anyone who curses the father and mother should be put to death. But, you know, he says, you Pharisees now have a new saying, a new tradition, that if you tell your mother and father, look, I... Can't support you the way I need to support you. I can't provide for you in your old age the way you need to be provided for because, well, the gift that I was going to give you, well, that is uh, a gift that I'm going to dedicate to God instead, right? So the Pharisees have said, you know, if you want to give a gift to the temple, if you want to provide in some other way, then you don't have to give to your parents anymore. As a matter of fact, Jesus implies that they're saying it's a bad idea to give to your parents instead of making this other gift. Verse 13, he says, "By doing this, nullify the Word of God by your own tradition. right? You have the, the plain Word of God in front of you, and you completely ignore it. So don't come to me and tell me about my disciples not following the traditions of your elders, because you guys are using these traditions to completely ignore the law of God, And that's Jesus' point. He says, "You're judging others based on whether or not they follow your idea of what makes people righteous. But in reality, Your traditions are excuses to get around the law of God and pretend to be righteous, to tell yourselves that you're righteous, to tell each other that you're righteous, and to uh, try to show God that you're righteous instead of actually being righteous. So if you remember last week, we were talking about how this might play out in our context and maybe in your church, and and you can imagine that your church was going to start a new worship service uh, during, the, during Wednesday evening, so people could come and be refreshed in their faith in the middle of the week. And some people would do that, and, and, and that's a good thing. But then you imagine it would become sort of a marker of righteousness, where the people that did go to the midweek service would look down their nose at somebody who didn't go to the midweek service and consider themselves to be more righteous, or even to tell people that now you have to, or you can't be part of our fellowship. So that's just helpful to understand what Jesus is on about here and, and why, he's, uh, why he's taking these Pharisees to task on this. Verse 14 in Mark chapter 7, again, Jesus called the crowd to him and says, listen to me, everyone. He says, nothing, going, nothing from outside that goes into you makes you, quote unquote, unclean. What makes you unclean is what comes out of you. And then his disciples don't quite understand this. They go, what do you mean by this? And he says, don't you see, in verse 18, and nothing that enters from outside can make you unclean. It doesn't go to your heart. It doesn't go to your inner life. It doesn't go to your inner self. It goes into your stomach and then out of your body. And this is really shocking for Jesus to say because the dietary restrictions on Israel are commanded by God. You know, Jesus seems to be refuting them altogether. So what do we need to understand about this? It helps that we understand really what the dietary laws for Israel are supposed to be doing. They're not there for health concerns. God does not tell people don't eat pork because you can get sick if it's not cooked properly. Uh, people have been raising pigs for thousands of years. They know how to cook meat. You know, this is not why the God that is is not why God puts these dietary restrictions on the people. He puts them on the people because he wants them to look different from their neighbors. The dietary restrictions are an outward sign or marker of Israel's special relationship with God. It's only when you have abandoned God that you would abandon the dietary law. To obey the dietary law and reject the one that God has sent is to perform kind of a vain exercise in piety. So what Jesus is saying is that, you know, even eating the clean food And rejecting me is you're performing outward works of piety, but your inner life is not where God wants it to be. And that's what this is really all about. The Pharisees are rejecting Jesus. Verse 19, he says, it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. In saying this, he declared all foods clean. That means he gives his disciples an understanding of what this clean and unclean business is really all about. And the fact that because you have faith in Christ, you are clean inside and food no longer serves as that marker of righteousness. Faith in Christ is the only thing that, that we go on. In verse 20, he goes on. He says, what comes out of a person is what makes them unclean it's from inside of us out of our hearts that comes in verse 21 evil thoughts sexual immorality theft murder adultery greed malice lewdness envy slander arrogance folly all this stuff comes from within us not from outside and i think this is important for christians to remember in this day and age when we we like to think about the world as if the world has drifted as if it was in a pristine state before and it has just drifted away The first thing to remember when when we're talking about Jesus saying that it is out of our hearts come uncleanness, the first thing to remember is that the world has never been an easy place to live according to the Word of God. The world has never been an easy place to follow the Word of God. Now, we may think that it is straying far away from God's plan, but the reality is it's always been in rebellion against God's plan. (laughs) No place, no time, no culture has ever had a lock on God's will. Not even Israel under King David has a lock on the will of God. If you don't believe me, just read King David's life. Read uh, the story of his uh, son Absalom, and you can see that the culture of Israel has even even under King David was ne- never was a- going a- always according to the will of God. And the second thing we can that that we can remember here is that we don't blame the world around us for our sins. Certain temptations, particular temptations, may manifest themselves in in our world more than they did in prior times. But that's not the reason we sin. Jesus makes it clear. Our sins of thought, word, and deed, these are are the evil and malice from within our own hearts. And we can't blame them on outside influences. We can't blame them on the world. Our sinful flesh has plenty, plenty of of, uh, temptation for us to indulge in. So we may have to change the way we look at the world and, and address the world around us. When we see things that we, we see and we say, you know, that's not right, that's not good, and w- what should our reaction be? So we have to ask ourselves, number one, is what I'm seeing evil in itself, right? Is it violence? Is it injustice? Then we should absolutely address those things as the evils that they are. But do we not like something because it in itself is evil? Or do we not like it because it brings out the evil in my heart, right? When we see the world around us and we recognize what that does to me as a follower of God, and it's doing something to me that I don't like, it's easy for me to say that the thing itself is bad, and maybe it is. Maybe it's not healthy. Maybe it's not good, and we should avoid it. But maybe my first reaction as the as as the people of God, maybe our first reaction shouldn't be necessarily to start with condemnation, but rather to start to start with examining our own hearts and equipping ourselves and equipping our families and equipping our churches to withstand the temptations that are presented before us in the world. Does that make sense? Jesus said it's from within that sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. It's from within these things. So the world may present us temptations, and it, but it's our own hearts that reach out and try to uh, grab onto those temptations and to, and to perform sin in our own lives. This is what Jesus is challenging us to do, is to reform our own selves. Verse 23, Jesus says, All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Notice the difference between Jesus' main concern and the main concern of the Pharisees. The Pharisees are seeking to wash the outside, judging outward actions only. Jesus, on the other hand, points out that, that he is here to wash the inside, to make us clean indeed. From now on, the marker of cleanness is faith of the disciple in Jesus? Do you believe in him as the one who will come again to judge the living and the dead? Do you believe in him as the one who was sacrificed in our place that we might have peace with God? Do you believe in him as the son of God? And the laws of Moses were always supposed to point forward to this, but when Jesus arrives, it seems that the laws and traditions have taken on a life of their own, which was never the point, never the point. From here, he leaves and he goes to Tyre. So um, if you look on maybe a map, if you've got a study Bible, it'll have a map of uh, the, the world of Jesus' day, and you'll see it's on uh, it's on the Mediterranean Sea uh, north of, of Israel, like in the far north of the map where, of Jesus' travels. Tyre is a trading city, a longtime enemy of Israel. Since we've been talking about the book of Isaiah, you can look at Isaiah 23 and see what Isaiah says about the city of Tyre. Uh, but it's on the northern edge uh, of what was the promised land. And he goes into a house there and didn't want anybody to know it, which is, you know, Jesus is going, Tyre's kind of a Gentile city. So if Jesus is going there, he, you could assume maybe that this is a place where he's not going to be heard of. But as a fa- in fact, as soon as uh, somebody hears about him, a woman, uh, as soon as she hears about this, uh, she has a little daughter who is possessed by an evil spirit, and she comes and falls at Jesus' feet. Now, you remember this is kind of the same reaction that Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, has um, when when Jesus shows up in his town. Same thing. The woman hears that Jesus is there. She's got a problem with her daughter at home. Jairus' daughter is very sick. Her daughter is possessed by an evil spirit. They both have the same reaction. They run to Jesus. But now you have, uh, verse 26, a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. So she is a Gentile of Gentiles, but she begs Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. Now, verse 27, if you ever have a a Bible study on the hard sayings of Jesus, I guarantee you this one will show up in there. Verse 27, Jesus responds to the woman. He says, first let the children eat all they want. He told her, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And that sounds mean, doesn't it? (laughs) Is Jesus calling her a dog because he thinks that she is less than human? You know, I, I... some, some try to get Jesus sort of off the hook here, saying he's testing her faith, but I don't know if that's necessarily the best way to read this. It, it would make it like the only time Jesus ever talks that way to anybody who has faith in him. It's really just out of character for the way that Jesus is shown in the Gospels for him to treat somebody that way when they come to him for help. He never treats anybody like it, with cruelty or, or kind of verbal abuse when they show up and ask him for help. So maybe we need to maybe rethink what does what's going on here in in context of how we see Jesus portrayed, and maybe that'll help us understand what does he mean by this. It might be more instructive to think about what does it mean that the word dog is used. Why do we immediately think of that as an as an insult? I mean, because you know, dogs are great. You know, I'm allergic to cats, and and uh, I don't currently we don't currently have a dog. But dogs are great. You know, why do we think of that as an insult when people are called dogs, and why do we think of it as wonderful when Jesus calls people sheep? What's the difference? <laughs> he calls her a dog. He calls other people sheep. Why do we hold those two things to be so different from one another? One is a terrible insult, and one is a is a is a is a state of blessedness. Simply this: the sheep. In the Old Testament, are considered clean animals, right? And dogs are considered "quote unquote" unclean animals. This is how God has separated the dogs and uh, the the clean and unclean animals. Dogs fall in unclean category. Sheep fall in the clean category. And I think that's kind of the point here. The point that G- Jesus is making isn't that the woman is subhuman or anything. The point is that she is unclean. She's a Gentile. She doesn't know the promises of God. She doesn't, she's not a member of the tribe of, of Israel. She doesn't understand the promises of Abraham or any of those things. She doesn't follow the law of God. She is unclean, as a dog is unclean compared to a sheep. Look at her reaction. Verse 28, she says, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table eat the crumbs that the children drop. Remember what we said before that the marker of righteousness is not going to be the washing the outside of the cup or the washing of the hands before you eat or, or any of these other traditions of the elders that Israel has, uh, that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law have, have laid on top of people, right? The marker of righteousness is going to be faith in Christ which cleans us on the inside, and that's what's going on here. This woman's inclusion in the kingdom of God stems not from her external status of clean or unclean. Her inclusion in the kingdom of heaven comes from the fact that she has faith in the one whom the Father has sent. Because verse 29, Jesus tells her, For such a reply you may go, the demon has left your daughter. This is what Jesus does for those with faith contrary to what he does in his hometown where he couldn't do much there because the people didn't believe in him. For someone who comes to him and comes in faith, whether they are clean or unclean according to the law of Moses, they become clean by their contact, their trust, their faith in Jesus. So you have sort of a sandwich construction with people who recognize Jesus and who he is and what he is about. So once the disciples, remember when they get off the boat, they reach the shore and all the people come and they gather and they uh, come to have people uh, come to be, to be healed by Jesus. And then the Pharisees come and they criticize Jesus. And then this woman comes and she uh, and then she believes in Jesus and begs him for help. You have that sort of sandwich construction of faithful, unfaithful, faithful, so that you can really see who is going to be included in the kingdom of God in Christ Jesus. It's not going to be those who wash the outside of the cup. It's not going to be those who practice the tradition of the elders or who have all the outside markers of righteousness. What makes you part of the kingdom of God is is the righteousness, as St. Paul says, the righteousness that comes by faith. That's what we see here in Mark chapter 7. So this is, I think, where we're going to stop today. Um, Let's see here. We are at... Yeah, yeah, we got to stop here. All right. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much for, for listening here. Uh, lots of people listen on Apple iTunes. Uh, if you have not yet given me a five-star rating on iTunes, I would really appreciate that. Uh, apparently it's super helpful for the, for the podcast. Uh, if you see it, if you see this come across your Facebook feed, like it and share it. If you need to get in touch with me, have a question or, or you want to say I'm, uh, I'm crazy. I'm, I'm open to that too. Uh, I have a family. They say I'm crazy all the time, so no big deal. So if you want to reach out to me, you can reach me at lunchbreakbiblestudy at gmail.com. A lot of you are members of my own congregation. You can get in touch with me. Uh, <laughs> you can call me on the phone if you want to or just grab me on Sunday morning. Uh, like I said, I'm Pastor Frank here in uh, on a rainy day in Kansas City, Missouri, and I hope you have a blessed rest of your day.